So today is our second to last week in the book of Isaiah. But before we dive in, I wanted to talk to you about one of my theology classes in seminary. And for some reason, it is seared into my mind. But at the beginning of the class, my professor asked us, what time is it? And then he repeated again, more thoughtfully, what time is it? And the class started to get into a frenzy, right? Because everyone wanted to have the answer to this question, even though on the surface, it seemed rather simple. So people checked their watches, they checked the time on their phones or the internet, shouted it out, um, but the professor shook his head. That, that wasn't the time he was looking for. Um, other people voiced what season we were in or what part of the semester. Again, he shook his head. Still others looked up different ways of calendaring throughout the world, non-Western ways. Again, the professor shook his head. Finally, someone looked up the liturgical calendar and found that Saint, it was the feast day for St. Bartholomew. And then finally, the professor nodded and said, yes, this is the time that I'm looking for. This was his way of introducing the liturgical calendar to our class. So many of you already know what the liturgical calendar is, but for a lot of the class, which grew up in the evangelical church, they had no idea that for centuries and centuries, the church has had its own calendar to tell and mark time. And the church tells and marks time by the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is how the church marks time. Throughout that semester, my professor tried to drill it into our hearts and minds that not all time is the same. So he would ask us, if you had your birthday every day of the year, would it still be special? And of course, I thought to myself, if my birthday was every day of the year, no, it would no longer be notable or special. And so he said, similarly, if every day is the same, if all time is the same, then time is meaningless. It is not special. And so that is why the church has set aside specific times in our year to mark the events in Christ's life. For this is what centers our lives and thus should center our time. So I ask you all today, what time is it? Is it 11.01? Is it New Year's Eve day? Is it December 31st? But for our purposes, I want to say that today is the seventh day of Christmas tide. Today is in the middle of the season of Christmas, when we get to continue to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, Christmas tide has been going on since as early as 567 AD, set aside as a sacred and festive season to celebrate the birth of Christ. The 12 days of Christmas have special feast days and is marked by joyous singing and celebration. 
you will see that our Christmas tree is still up. Our decorations are still up because we are in the season of Christmas tide. I thought that I would use the verses from Isaiah to help draw us back to the birth of Christ, to help us continue in celebration. So hear these words from Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways. But you were angry and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O oh Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O oh Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider we are all your people. Please pray with me. God, we come to you today knowing that we are your people. We come to you today in humility and awe, wanting to remember and celebrate afresh the birth of our Savior, the birth of our Messiah. So God, use these words from Isaiah to encourage us and to wake us up, God, to bring us back to you. So we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So even though we are in a season of celebration, this passage that I just read should remind us of the Psalms of Lament. So Lament Psalms are prayers or poems that are filled with anguish, complaints, laments, honest, honest feelings directed to God. And that is what this Isaiah passage is. It is a lament poem. But our passage starts midway through this lament that is directed to God, which already started in chapter 63. The people of Israel are struggling because they are experiencing a great chasm between themselves and between God. They are the people that God is supposed to be in a covenant relationship with, but there is a rift. They cry out in chapter 63, the chapter before ours, your great pity and compassion are held from me. In chapter 63, they refer to referring to God and Israel. This is what the accusation states. Therefore, he, Yahweh, 
became their enemy. He, Yahweh himself, fought against them. We see that there's a great chasm between God and Israel, which is at the center of this lament. That's why the start of our passage is a cry for God to break through the chasm and to make himself known to Israel once again. Verse 1 says, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. The imagery continues of Israel wanting God to come down in all his majesty and glory, making his presence known to them and the nations to tremble. I wonder if the writers of this lament could have fathomed how God would have chosen to close the gap between Israel and God. Could they have imagined that he would close the gap through the birth of the Christ child? God indeed tore open the heavens and came down on that night long ago in Bethlehem. This is what the incarnation is all about. God tearing down the barriers between heaven and earth, becoming flesh so that he could dwell fully with the people he created. Luke chapter 2 records, starting in verse 8. Now in that same region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth, and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. Our God heard the cries of his people echoing in Isaiah and throughout history, and he tore open the heavens and came down not with might or fanfare, but with humility and love and in the vulnerable state of a baby. This year, this Advent, I realized how much I love watching people when they hear this part of the Christmas story read aloud. As the Christmas story was read at Bethel House, I watched the face of one woman in recovery from addiction absolutely glitter and shine with wonder, awe, and delight at the sheer goodness of God, who would love her so much that he would cross the cosmos to come for her, to find her in her broken and humble state, and to save her. I've seen the hope and deep knowing in an elderly woman's eyes when we read this story a couple of days before Christmas. 
only when we got to the part about the multitude of the heavenly host praising God did I, un- did I know that she understood what was happening. She lives with the repercussions of a stroke, and I wasn't sure she was processing. But when I saw her eyes glimmer with hope, I knew that she knew that God had not forgotten her or any of us, for he had sent his son to be with us. This year, I also beheld the shock on new believers' faces who were stunned by the beauty of the Christmas story. These new believers were completely undone by the beauty of their God, who was not content to leave them or humanity in darkness. Finally, I was with my friend and her two foster girls at bedtime a couple of weeks ago as this Christmas story was read aloud. It was the girls last night before they would be reunited with their biological family. Tears flowed discreetly down my cheeks as I was overwhelmed by how the radical news of this night declared by the angels so long ago could and has changed everything for these girls. God came into our world to rescue and save not only me, but these girls who have faced unimaginable suffering. This radical good news of God choosing to make himself known to us in the shockingly humble state of our own vulnerable, fragile, and painful humanity has the potential to offer them healing, future, and hope. They have a future with their Emmanuel, their God who will always be with them. Lord, thank you that you heard the cry of your people Israel, that you tore open the heavens and you came down. Let's be honest, not in the ways that they were thinking or expecting, but in ways that were so gloriously all your own. As we continue to celebrate Jesus's birth, let's ask each other, How have we experienced the joy of the Christmas story this season? How has the Christmas story given us hope or shaped our laughter or shaped our lives? How have dreams been made possible because God chose to make his home among us? Let's return to our Isaiah passage. I want us specifically to look at verse 4, if you're following along. Verse 4 continues to affirm God's character, even in the midst of this rift and separation they are experiencing from God. But it says, From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. We can marvel that even as the Israelites are lamenting the rift in their relationship with God, they do trust that God works for those who wait for him. After all, the Israelites are people who cling to God's faithfulness throughout history, who remember the mighty acts of God in delivering his people from slavery in the Exodus, who remember the giving of the law with Moses 
and the miraculous gift of the promised land. They know, they know no other God but Yahweh. The Apostle Paul essentially reworks this verse from Isaiah 64, and he writes his own paraphrase in 1 Corinthians 2.9. This is what Paul writes. But as it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Our hearts can hardly conceive, even now, of the incarnation and birth of Jesus without the Spirit guiding and revealing the mystery to us. The mystery of a mighty and holy God taking on our skin, bones, fear, pain, discomfort, fragility, and loneliness so that he might deliver and save us. As we remember the Christmas story, let us remember that God worked in an unimaginable way through the birth of his son for those who were waiting for him. The main chunk of our lament passage includes Israel's confession of the ways that they have not held up their end of the bargain with God. As part of their confession, they also dare to point out that God's neglectfulness was part of the problem. The prophet writes, But you were angry, and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. In this confession, even the prophet participates, and we are called to participate and identify with these words of confession too. If we are to truly celebrate the birth of Jesus, getting on our knees in repentance is a great place to start. For Israel, God's chosen people, the pattern of their lives with God often ended with them on their knees in repentance. With a deep awareness of the chasm that existed between their holy God and themselves. They were left with little else except a profound understanding of their humble and broken state before him. But we see in this passage that words of hope and clarity ring out after their confession. They say, yet, O Lord, yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. At the core of their confession was the reality of their utter dependence on God. It was not their righteous deeds or faithfulness that would reinstate their relationship with God. It would have to be God himself who would make things right. 
It was God who would have to do something. And they reminded him that despite their sin, yet, O oh Lord, you are our Father. As God's people today, we recognize the astonishing way that God chose to navigate the separation between himself and his broken and wayward people. As our Heavenly Father, he sent his Son not only to be born a baby, but to die a man, to take the sins, hardships, and iniquities of all humanity onto his shoulders on the cross so that we might be able to take hold of God and God might be able to take hold of us. Perhaps if we are honest with ourselves, we can't even begin to celebrate the Christmas story because our hearts have been plagued by our own sin, our own iniquities. Perhaps bitterness, hardness of heart, unforgiveness, greed, or selfishness. Is there any rebellion inside of you that is stopping you from coming to the manger to behold the newborn king in humility and awe? What might God be calling you to confess so that you can more fully celebrate his birth this season? I want to conclude with the question that we started with. What time is it? And I will, of course, be celebrating New Year's. It's New Year's Eve. But I will do so knowing again that the church marks this time primarily and predominantly by the celebration of the birth of Christ. This is a time set aside to marvel, to stand in awe at the newborn king. All history looked ahead to Jesus, and all history now looks back to Jesus. There's no other truer way to mark our time than by his birth, death, and resurrection. This is what our story is made of. This is what gives our story life. And so to conclude our time, we are going to stand and joyfully sing joy to the world, knowing that we are joining churches throughout the world in proclaiming this hymn. As we sing these words, I encourage you to make them your prayer and consider the joy that Christ in the flesh has brought to us and the ways that God has broken open the heavens, come down and come to save us. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.